entertainment had a really weird week and a college baseball coach has been fired over unethical behavior related to sports betting. It's Monday, May 8th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter and this is Front Office Sports Today. We have had two very spicy stories in the world of sports betting. Here to break them down is the Action Network's Darren Ravel. Welcome, Darren. Hello, hello. So we've got a couple of of pretty juicy stories going on right now. Let's start with the Alabama um, college baseball coach, Brad Bohannon, was fired over suspected match fixing. What do we know here? Well, I don't know if it was match fixing. I'm not sure about it, but we know that uh, he was apparently on the phone connected to someone at the Great American Ballpark. That person placed two bets at BetMGM, a parlay and a straight-up bet on LSU, minus 245. I mean, that's as sure of a sure thing. Uh, LSU, the number one baseball team in the country. Alabama started their season 14-0, but it's since gone downhill. Um uh, the pitcher was supposed to be pitching was Luke Holman, who is the uh, the star of the Alabama team. Uh, there was a late change to the reliever uh, that was apparently communicated uh, through sportsbook surveillance. They were able to figure out that uh, this was happening on the phone. There was a large bet. And the large bet is people say, I thought you can't bet a lot on something like college baseball. Well, you can if it's mobile. But if you're at a retail location, you have cash, they'll take it. So that's why it's strategically at a, at a retail location in a world of mobile. In the beginning, uh, Ohio just pulled, you know, Alabama baseball betting. And you're like, what is that? I mean, this is just some sort of red flag that's not going to turn into anything. And then, you know, it goes as deep as this and might even go deeper. Uh, so if you look at the game itself, like, is the information enough, right? Like, there's nothing illegal about inside information. Obviously, there's something extremely unethical about a coach uh, communicating with a gambler about this. But the funny thing is it was minus 245, and Alabama actually almost won the game. Yeah. Uh, and could you just, for our listeners who might not be – as familiar with sports betting, what does minus 245 mean? My, my, minus 245 means that you have to spend $245 to win $100. So if you put down 245, you win 100. You net 100. So if you win, you would get $345 back. But obviously, that shows that, that the odds were so much in LSU's favor. Um, but but yeah, so it seems like there there is more and more to this story. It's not necessarily match fixing in that it doesn't seem like any of the players were involved. Um, it, 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 there wasn't any assurance that Alabama would lose the game, but the information perhaps that they were going from their starter, who is their uh, leader in wins in ERA, to a reliever who did not have so much of a good record, that information alone could have been valuable. And obviously so unethical that you need to be fired. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I got a little ahead of myself calling it match fixing. I did this unintentionally prescient feature on match fixing right before all this went down. And that was, I didn't really get into it too much there, but that was something that came up was like, how do you handle inside information? Like if it's say the pitcher's wife or partner who, who learns of this, 
uh, you know, learns that like their ace is not going to be pitching that day, but the betting line is set as if he it's is. It's not SEC regulated, right? I mean, right. It's not, it's not a regulated market. It's not inside information is allowable, but it but it depends on how it, what is the chain and, and, and how does it work and whether it becomes unethical at a point. And obviously, but, but inside information on its own is, is, is not illegal. But I would also say, having had inside information before from primary sources that I didn't bet that game, um, uh, if I would have bet it, about half the time it doesn't turn out to be good. There was, there was one scenario, you can't go into specifics, but the actual player was just talking to me before the game about how he was not feeling very well. And he was a key player in a game. And if I would, and I, if I would have bet that, uh, uh, I would have lost because the guy went on to have one of the greatest games in his career. Right. And you hear those stories of like, yeah, I, I had the flu, but I don't know, somehow it focused me and like uh, all I could see was the ball. And, you know, whatever. Inside, inside information isn't, isn't exact. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, if you're a coach, even if you're a coach betting on your own team or helping someone bet on your own team, that's still not OK. Because, yeah, maybe you leave your ace pitcher in longer than you're supposed to. Or you, you might do things that you wouldn't do if... Um, there wasn't money on the line somehow connected to you. And even if it's in service of you winning the game, it might, any alteration to how you play the game is you're other, crossing a line the, that can't the, be crossed. The other, the other problem is it becomes a little bit more difficult when there's a lot of players who have to cooperate. Um, now, uh, Dennis Lundy in 1994 for Northwestern literally dropped the ball on the one yard line running in for a touchdown. And he, he fixed that. Or, you know, but in some cases, even in Shevin Smith, Headache Smith in Arizona State, um, you know, the way the high level that sports is played today, unless you're a tennis player, unless you're in a team sport to ever fix something, it, it without be it being recognized has become more and more difficult. Right. Yeah. And that's why. One, like coaches and referees are maybe the more vulnerable point there, but also that's why you look at the bets, not but the let's players. Also, let's also talk about the fact that, you know, this system worked, right? Like, okay, so so if people say, let's put an end to college sports betting, well, it shouldn't be about this. College sports betting is happening, uh, you know, amidst the dregs of society where where dollars are, are, are changing hands, dollars, and they're not monitored. And that's where it's happening. So I expect some dumb, dumb person in politics to come out with some sort of bill that we can't bet on college sports. But I want to point out that in this case, it worked. All the alarm systems went off. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, U.S. betting and you mentioned mobile versus retail, there's there's that difference. But it's highly regulated. And those regulations are in part to catch this kind of behavior. Um, let's hop topics over to Penn Entertainment and Barstool. Uh, what's the story here? Well, uh, earlier in the it, last week, uh, Barstool uh, had to fire Ben Mintz, uh, one of their hosts, uh, who mentioned a racial slur while reading a song lyric on the air. Dave Portnoy, the president, Presidente, the, the head of Barstool, basically said he didn't want to fire him, but that Penn made him. Uh, you know, which is just an overall interesting thing because for the most part, they've been autonomous since Penn bought them. 
Earnings also came out, and the earnings depends on what analyst you were looking at. Some said they beat earnings, some said they slightly missed. Um, but earnings came out, and uh, I think some of the read was that revenue growth wasn't as good as it should have been. So, you know, I think a bunch of bros sold off some stock in support of a guy named Ben Mintz. That certainly, I don't think that caused a 13.6% drop, losing more than 600 million in, in their market cap, you know, on paper. Uh, I think the jury is still out as to whether Penn's thinking that Barstool's editorial operations will help them uh, pay less for consumer acquisition as the gambling industry continues to be questioned by the large amounts of money spent by DraftKings and Dole and the leaders to acquire a customer. Yeah, and just to unpack that a little bit, right, yeah, so DraftKings, FanDuel, they have, they'll throw all these promotions at you, say, you know, your your first $200 is free or whatever it is, and they have to keep you around to get that money back, and also they're spending money on Super Bowl ads and, you know, billboards all over the place, wherever they can and be, whereas Penn's play was to buy Barstool and say, we all, let's just take this community, we are, we're the betting source for this community that's already plugged into sports. And, part of, the, and part of the greater discussion there is that the community is not valuable than the versus the community at large. In other words, the community is more of the 18 to 28 year old person who has lower net worth. And then once you do hook them into gambling, they probably have a shorter tail to survive. And so that also becomes, you know, an issue where there are diminishing returns faster to the barstool pen connection than there are with the earned customers from DraftKings and FanDuel. And just where, where my mind is going with this is, did Penn know who they were buying here? I mean, you know, saying this a terrible racial slur, whether or not it's in a song lyric is, is you know, you, you can maybe segment that off as an isolated incident. But Barstool is, they have a history. Yeah, it, it, it is interesting that like, this is where they draw the line. What has happened that this is where they make the stance? And some of it, uh, <laughs> some of it is, uh, interestingly enough, I mean, some of it is, is, is probably based on the timing of regulators. In Massachusetts, the Massachusetts regulators actually made a pause, although they gave their license eventually to Barstool. They paused and said, we have to look at the character of Barstool. Whether that was a over, uh, so someone was overly cautious about it or whatever, I think that gave Penn pause as to how they should act in the future. Can you imagine if we lose a license over how they behave? Right. Yeah. So that's <laughs> the way to get their attention. Yeah. Is, is through the bottom line. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this is just a blip on the radar, you know, and it all works out just fine. Um, or if this is a sign of things to come and if this relationship is going to be a rocky one, uh, but it's, it's a pretty crucial one for, for Penn and for Barstool at this point. Exactly. So we'll, we'll have to see, uh, it's going to be very interesting. Um, there's a lot of scrutiny here. All right. Darren Ravel, always love your insights. Thanks for joining us on the show. Okay. Thanks. Up next, I spoke to Ben Johnson, Senior VP at SailGP, 
SailGP is a sailing league where the first time you see it, you might think your brain is playing tricks on you. SailGP is aiming to be the Formula One of boat racing. Ben and I spoke about how they're planning to make that happen. We will have that conversation right after this. Here's what's trending now. You can defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. 33,000 companies have already upgraded to NetSuite, gaining visibility and control over their financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. Everything they need to reduce manual processes, boost efficiency, build forecasts, and increase productivity. Whether your business generates millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, take advantage of this special financing offer of no payments or interest for six months at netsuite.com frontoffice. That's netsuite.com slash front office. I am joined now by Ben Johnson, Senior Vice President of SailGP. Welcome, Ben. Hey, Owen. Thanks so much for having me. So I'm going to guess that a lot of our listeners don't know what SailGP is. Uh, so let's just start from the very beginning. Uh, what is SailGP? So SailGP is the uh, fastest growing, best sports property that most of the U.S. sports fans haven't heard of yet. So we are a racing property, global circuit, iconic destinations around the world, taking custom-built F-50 catamarans, which for uh, first-time uh, fans of SailGP, that is flying sailboats. They hydrofoil, they get out of the water, they go 60, 70 miles an hour, so highway, highway speeds, no brakes. Um, uh, 10, 15 feet out of the water. Uh, and we take 10 of the best teams to incredible destinations all around the world. So we're racing in iconic cities like Saint-Tropez, Singapore, New York, LA. Uh, and it's one of the fastest growing sports we launched in 2019, um, really focused on close to shore racing, bringing action uh, as, as close to shoreline as possible, and really making sure people can get the sense of speed, uh, the drama, the danger uh, that's inherent in the sport and really introducing a whole new audience to, to the sport of sail racing. And I think the visual here is worth dwelling on for a moment because it's something that didn't, I, I still look at it and still doesn't totally make sense to me, but at least I know what it looks like. But basically you've got these these boats um, that are like, the looks like the entire boat is above the water and in the water are just like four poles basically it looks like it's like skis that have been bent um like if you see it out of the water it looks like a to me it looks like a bent ski um under the water and that whole thing is somehow holding up the boat um can you just like what, what what's going on here why is this a thing and how does that work yeah, and just to give you a sense of how fast the boats are actually going, the water around uh, the hydrofoils is actually boiling. The boats are going so quickly uh, as those hydrofoils lift the boat out of the water and then uh, and then propel them again at those those incredible highway speeds. Um, if it's a new sport to, to everyone, it's really think of what you've seen with the surfboards, water sport evolution in sort of the last 10 to 15 years. The hydrofoil has allowed the opportunity to just grab create rapid speed uh, that you wouldn't have otherwise seen in these sports. So the fun thing for SailGP is we look at our F50, the, the custom boat that we design and build for each of our teams. Um, 
this looks more like a spaceship than it does a traditional sailboat. So I think you look at, you know, this sport historically and our CEO and founder, Sir Russell Coots, um, loves to talk about how in the past, this was white triangles on a blue backdrop. So it was a very slow, very boring sport for mass audiences that didn't appreciate the, the technical capabilities behind it, the athleticism. And as the technology has so rapidly advanced in the last 10 to 15 years, the boats just go at these incredible speeds. They uh, have rigid wings that actually look a lot more like an airplane wing than a traditional sail. And they lift them out of the water again at that like 10 to 15 feet mark. And they are flying above the water. And for us, the drama is they are also in super close proximity to each other. So we have the crashes of, uh, of an F1 or traditional speed sports that you hadn't historically seen in the space because they're going so fast next to shore in such close proximity to each other. And from what little sailing I sailing race is I've seen, um, I think some of the challenge of bringing this to a large audience is that it's just open water. And so you don't have a track. You don't, you don't really know where the finish line is necessarily. You just kind of see boats on the water and it kind of just looks like boats on the water at times, you know, for like a more traditional race where, um, yeah, maybe they're going slower and they look more like normal boats. Um, so, how does a sail GP race work and how do you tackle that, that visual issue? So there's really two things that we're focused on solving right now to help bring in that next generation of fans. So we're finding um, uh, a mass audience here, especially in the U.S. It's just fascinated by the novelty, the speed, the drama, uh, really pulling from their interest in other speed sports, whether that's, again, F1 racing, other motorsports, skiing, where they're seeing that direct parallel in terms of, uh, of speed and proximity. Uh, in terms of helping convey that to new audiences, we are picking locations where we can be super close to shore. So we are stadium racing at a its finest. When we go to Chicago in June of this year, uh, the 16th and 17th in June, we'll be right off of Navy Pier for anybody that spent time uh, on the incredible coast of uh, Lake Michigan in the summer in Chicago. We are directly next to Lakeshore Drive inside the break wall there next to Navy Pier. So we have tens of thousands of spectators that get to be up close to the boats while they're going at these 60 mile an hour plus speeds. Um, and so you really, from a visual standpoint, can see everything that's happening in front of you. Uh, we have that joy of racing universally where whoever's getting there first, you know, is probably doing a, a good job. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of nuance uh, without having sort of a fixed two-dimensional racetrack that you're referencing. And where we solve the other half of this is really around our broadcast. We have patented technology uh, in LiveLine where we're able to show a visual overlay of where the boats are going in terms of proximity to each other. So we're really able to help convey this boat's out in front by this much, and here's what's at stakes when they go around individual turning marks around the course. But it's it's unique within racing sports because you can see the entirety of the event in front of you. You don't have that sensation of seeing uh, two craft go by at incredible speed and then waiting for them to come back around. You can really watch where they are in terms of their performance against other craft on the race course, which is really unique for, for the sport of high-speed sailing. How are you getting people's attention, either through your media partners or just everything else you're doing when, when yeah, we're, people are already following, yeah, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, soccer, like and it feels like every day there's another one like pickleball. Um, how are you adding sale GP to that list? When we look at other sports, you know, we know um, here in the U.S. people have more than enough events that they get to pick and choose from each year where we see ourselves as being really unique additions to their social calendar in a city like Chicago and Navy Pier for a week 
weekend. There is no other sport that gets to use the backdrop of the city of Chicago the way SailGP does. So we see ourselves as the best stadium uh, that that hasn't been discovered yet in terms of an already iconic sports mix. Um, and then from a broadcast standpoint, you know, we're really looking at the opportunity to introduce mass audiences that didn't know this existed and see a natural connection to the sport. So on CBS, we broadcast uh, after uh, NFL games uh, uh, multiple times a year, and we see the opportunity to retain those audiences and introduce them to something entirely new as being such a fun way to introduce people to a sport that, um, you know, they might not have been looking for uh, historically, but have found an instant connection to the speed, the purpose, the tech, and, and the things that really make them fans. All right. Fascinating stuff. Ben Johnson, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Oh, and thanks so much for the time. That's it for today. If you have a friend who you think would enjoy this show, please let them know or share a favorite episode. You'll be doing both me and them a favor. And if you are that friend who is now listening, please hit that subscribe button. We have great interviews from across the sports world every weekday. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.